A person cannot be a Muslim unless they believe in Jesus. If someone is embracing Islam, we just tell him, he has to say, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, and I bear witness that Jesus is the messenger of God and his servant just like Muhammad. Jesus and Muhammad. How are they alike? How are they different? Both make profound claims about God and the destiny of humanity. Whose claims should we believe? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zukerin. Today, Dr. Zukerin contrasts the lives, claims, and historical evidence for Jesus and Muhammad. This is a two-part series. Today, we look at part two. And it's crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's articles, books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Pat, last time we were examining how Islam spread, how the message of Muhammad spread all over the world, and how the message of Jesus in Christianity spread all over the world. Let's pick it up there and discuss how Muhammad's message spread all over the world. Yes, we know that Muhammad was a warrior, that uh, when they began in Medina, they began raiding caravans, and then they fought four major battles with the armies of Mecca, finally capturing the city of Mecca. Then Muhammad sent messengers all over Saudi Arabia, ordering them to accept Islam or suffer the consequences. And many surrendered to Muhammad, but then he also attacked other settlements throughout the Arabian Peninsula, subduing them militarily. And so Islam was spread through the, throughout the Arabian Peninsula in the lifetime of Muhammad. And the four caliphs who followed after Muhammad, also following in the footsteps of Muhammad, spread Islam throughout North Africa, Asia, and eventually getting onto the shores of France. Uh, also through the sword. Well, let's compare that then with how Christianity spread. Contrast is quite significant. You know, in contrast to Muhammad, who presented the message of jihad, uh, for example, in chapter 9 of the Quran, where he states, fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them, and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem. Instead, Jesus preached a different message. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus praised those who make peace, teaching, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So during his earthly ministry, Jesus never engaged in military conflict. Instead, Christ spread his message through preaching, teaching, and the accomplishing of miracles. And his mission culminated in his death on the cross for the sins of mankind and his resurrection from the dead. And Christ's disciples followed his example. Christianity was spread through the preaching of the gospel message. Uh, Christ's disciples did not die on the battlefield as warriors, but instead they were martyred for proclaiming the name of Christ. Now remember, as we mentioned in the first show, Muslims are called to imitate Muhammad in every aspect of their lives. And so his example of what jihad is and how to spread Islam is significant in what we see today in many uh, forms of Islam. Those who interpret 
the Quran literally and seek to follow Muhammad's literal example. You got to understand Muhammad was a warrior and jihad meant a military campaign. And so those who follow literally the teachings of the Quran and seek to follow Muhammad's example, follow the path of the sword, or as those who follow in the footsteps of Christ are involved in preaching and teaching and in a lot of humanitarian aid in the name of Christ. You don't see people killing or going to war in the name of Christ. That goes against the teaching and the example that Christ set. Well, Pat, though you say that Christianity promoted peace, many critics will point to the Crusades. And how do you respond to that? Well, first of all, you know, that was only uh, for uh, Christianity's been around for about 2,000 years, and the Crusades only lasted about, uh, let's say, 100 years here and there. So it was just a short period, and also it goes against the teachings of Christ. We can point to the Bible and show you that what happened in the Crusades is wrong, and we repent of that. And we can point to the teachings of Christ and the example of Christ to show that that's not Christianity. In contrast, what about the military campaigns of Islam? I mean, they just swept through North Africa uh, it's estimated by historians that uh, nearly 4 million people were killed, civilizations were wiped out, uh, churches were burned, uh, till all of North Africa uh, was subdued by Islam, and then went into Spain and ended up on the shores of France. Uh, can we point to passages in the Quran where that is contrary to the teachings of Islam? Can we point to the life of Muhammad and his early disciples and show that this was indeed contrary to their example uh, in contrast to Christianity you cannot that's if, if you literally interpret the Quran and seek to follow the example of Muhammad and the first four caliphs you'll discover that uh, you you know that's more consistent with their life and their example they were warriors who spread Islam through the sword you know both Muhammad and Jesus faced strong criticism for their message how did they respond to their critics? Let's start with Muhammad. Well, once again, the contrast is pretty great there. Kevin, you know, early in his ministry, Muhammad forgave many of his critics. But as he grew in power, he repeatedly exacted revenge on those who criticized him. Once again, Ibn Ishaq, the author of the earliest biography of Muhammad's life, records the way Muhammad dealt with those who criticized him. Uh, on one occasion, a Jewish poet named Al-Ashraf composed a poem that was critical of Muslim women. And Muhammad asked one of his men, Who will rid me of this poet? And a young man named Muhammad Maslama volunteered to kill the poet. And this man's plan, which Muhammad endorsed, was to deceive the poet and lure him into a trap. And after luring the poet into a trap, this young man and his companion stabbed the poet to death and presented his dead body to Muhammad, who then praised his men. And after the assassination of this Jewish poet, Muhammad ordered his men to, quote, kill any Jew that falls into your trap. And Ishak records that the first victim of that decree was a Jewish merchant named Sunaina. Now, another poet that was killed by Muhammad was a man named Afak. This man was nearly 100 years old, and he had written poems mocking Muhammad. And Muhammad once again asked his men, Who will deal with this rascal for me? And a young man named Salim volunteered and killed the old man while he was sleeping. Now a female poet named Marwan was infuriated by this murder, 
and wrote verses condemning Muhammad's men. And hearing of her criticism, Muhammad asked, once again, who will rid me of Marwan's daughter? And a young man named Al-Khatami volunteered and killed her and her unborn child that very evening. Now, Al-Khatami was worried that he had committed some kind of unpardonable sin, but Muhammad reassured him, saying, quote, two goats won't butt their heads about her. And on another occasion, Ibn Ishaq records that Muhammad killed two girls who wrote satirical songs about him. So you can see how Muhammad dealt with criticism. And what's significant is that, remember, his example is the one that his followers follow today. And remember, what's going on in our world today is connected with the example Muhammad set. You know, a, a death fatwa was given against Salman Rushdie the author of the fictional novel, The Satanic Verses. And if you remember, just a few years ago, in 2006, riots, many of which were violent, broke out all over the world over Danish cartoons depicting Muhammad. And several people were killed as riots broke out worldwide. And so the example that Muhammad said and how he dealt with critics still plays a role in those who follow Islam today. Well, in contrast then, how did Jesus deal with his critics? Well, Christ never exacted revenge on those who criticized him. You know, Christ taught in Matthew chapter 5, you know, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So this doesn't mean that Christ passively ignored those who opposed his teaching. He often rebuked them. He corrected them. He pointed out his error. Or sometimes he simply allowed his character to speak for itself. But Christ sets the supreme example that when he was beaten and mocked, he remained silent. And in the end, on the cross, he prayed for his enemies. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what's interesting is that, like Muhammad, Christ had the power to take revenge. You know, he, he told Peter, he said, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels to destroy the enemies who are at hand? But however, Christ chose to submit to the will of God. He forgave and even loved those who hated him. So there's a, quite a significant contrast there. One leader chose the sword of vengeance while, other while the other taught us to overcome evil with good, to overcome hate with love. Well, you'll certainly see that in the world today. When Muhammad is criticized, like you said earlier, it literally starts a riot and people are killed. When Jesus is mocked or made fun of or satirized, you don't hear such outcries. Right. Uh, there was a you know novel that came out not too long ago, The Da Vinci Code, top-selling book for nearly four years, which really ridiculed the historical reliability of the Gospels. It said Jesus was married, had, had a wife, had a child. Yet you don't see a death warrant on the author Dan Brown. You didn't see Christians rioting in the streets and, and you know, having calls to, to violent uproars. No, Christians didn't uh, just stand by and let it happen. You know, we responded by presenting the truth and countering Dan Brown's claims. But there was no act of violence and death warrant on the life of Dan Brown. And if there is, that would be very contrary to what Christ taught. You know, Pat, another significant contrast between Muhammad and Jesus is their treatment and teaching on women. Uh, let's start with Muhammad. Uh, tell us about Muhammad's relationship with women. Yes, you know, once again, here's a great contrast. You know, Muhammad remained loyal to his first wife, Khadija. She was 
about 25 years older than him, and he did not take any other wives until after her death. They had been married for about 25 years. Now, Islamic historians record that Muhammad married anywhere from 11 to 13 wives. The Quran teaches that a man may marry up to four wives in chapter 4 of the Quran. However, Muhammad believed that he received special revelation from Allah that he may have more. Now, Muhammad's marriages have been a source of criticism of his moral character. However, Muslim historian John Esposito, one of the premier Islamic historians of our day, he states that Muhammad's marriages were not immoral, but instead they followed the normal practices of the culture and meant that uh, many of his marriages were to solidify political alliances and to provide and protect for the widows of his men who had fallen in battle. Well, let's take a look at the circumstances that surrounded some of the marriages of Muhammad. Now, after the death of Khadija, his first wife, Muhammad chose a young girl named Aisha, who eventually became Muhammad's favorite wife. And he married her when she was seven years old and consummated the marriage when she was nine, according to the Hadith. And at this time, Muhammad was in his 50s. Well, who was Aisha? Aisha was the daughter of Abu Bakr, one of Muhammad's first and most loyal followers, who eventually became the first caliph or spiritual leader after the death of Muhammad. And in his final moments, he died in the arms of Aisha. Now, here's another one. One of the most controversial marriage was to Zainab, the wife of his adopted son, Zaid Haritha. Now, apparently, they did not have a happy marriage. And Zaid, discovering Muhammad's interest in his wife, sought to divorce his wife and offered her to Muhammad. Well, initially, Muhammad discouraged his adopted son. However, the marriage declined and they divorced. And soon after, Muhammad married Zainab, his adopted son's wife. Now, he was criticized for this because many considered this marriage equal to incest. However, in chapter 33, Muhammad believed that he received a revelation from Allah justifying his action and that he should ignore the criticism. And then we have another one that Ibn Ishaq records, another one of his wives named Safiya. She was the wife of Kinana al-Rabi. He was the leader of the Jews living at the Kabar oasis. Now, Muhammad attacked this settlement after he had conquered Mecca, and Ishaq records that in the morning, Ishaq writes, quote, We met the workers of Kabar coming out in the morning with their spades and baskets. So this wasn't a military community. This was a farming community, and Muhammad and his men attacked this community and killed 93 men during the raid. Now, Muhammad sought to obtain the riches, the treasure that was hidden somewhere in this city. And so, Muhammad ordered his men to torture Kenana, the Jewish leader of this settlement, so that he would reveal the location of his hidden treasure. And Ibn Ishaq records that Muhammad ordered his men to, quote, torture him until you extract what he has. So, he kindled the fire with flint and steel on his chest until he was nearly dead. Then the apostle delivered him to Muhammad Maslama, and he struck off his head in revenge for his brother Mahmud. And after that, after Kinana's death, Muhammad took the man's wife, Safiya, and he married her. And so you see Muhammad's circumstances around the marriages of several of Muhammad's wives here. It seems to bring up another issue because many Muslims say that the battles described in the Quran and the early Muslim battles were only defensive, but some of these sound kind of like uh, offensive battles. Right. You know, the settlement of Kabar, these people were no threat to Islam. In fact, it was a farming community. 
Ishak records that when they were attacked, they were coming out to farm their land with spades and baskets when they were attacked. Uh, they were no threat to Islam. So it was not a defensive battle. The civilizations of Europe were not attacking the Middle East. The civilizations of Northern Africa were not attacking Saudi Arabia. Instead, uh, the Islamic armies went on the offensive and attacked and wiped out the civilizations in Northern Africa and right on into Europe and into Asia all the way into Turkey. And so we can see that uh, these weren't defensive battles. This was offensive battles in the cause of Islam, spreading Islam throughout the world. Well, let's continue then with his attitude toward women. What were Muhammad's teachings and attitudes about women? Yes, you know, Muhammad's relationship with his wives were often a source of, of sorrow and great struggle for him. You know, on, on one occasion, Muhammad threatened to divorce his wives because one of them disclosed a secret to one of his consorts. And this caused some of his wives to join together uh, against him. And it is then that Muhammad believed he received a revelation from Allah rebuking them, saying that Allah and Gabriel would back him up and that Allah would allow him to divorce them and Allah would provide, quote, consorts better than you. And that's in chapter 66 of the Quran. You know, on another occasion, Muhammad's wives continued to irritate him by asking for money and in exasperation, he gave them the choice of divorcing him and seeking worldly pleasure or remaining with him uh, in chapter 33 of the Quran. And so Muhammad, his relationship with his wives, he often struggled and on several occasions, as we see here, threatened to even divorce them. Now, Muhammad's uh, attitude towards women is also revealed in his teachings. When you read passages in the Quran and the Hadith, Kevin, it appears that Muhammad viewed women as less intelligent than men. In chapter 2 of the Quran, Muhammad taught that the testimony of a woman is worth only half that of a man. And the Hadith echoes Muhammad's belief in the, quote, deficiency or the inferiority of women's intelligence. It is recorded that on his way to prayer, he passed by a woman and he stated, O woman, give alms, as I have seen that the majority of dwellers of hellfire were you, women. I have not seen anyone more deficient in intelligence and religion than you. A cautious, sensible man could be led astray by some of you. The woman asked, O Allah's apostle, what is deficient in our intelligence and religion? He said, Is not the evidence of two women equal to the witness of one man? They replied in the affirmative. He said, This is the deficiency in the woman's intelligence. Uh, the Hadith further states, you know, The Prophet said, Isn't the witness of a woman equal to half that of a man? The woman said, Yes. He said, This is because of the deficiency of a woman's mind. So, these passages teach that women are considered to have a deficiency of the mind, which leads us to conclude that he saw them as inferior to men. Muhammad also appeared to teach that women have less value than men. It's evidenced in chapter 4 of the Quran, where a son's inheritance is twice that uh, of a daughter. Uh, men are also allowed up to have four wives, and, and sex with slave girls is allowed in chapter 4 of the Quran. And... Uh, Muhammad's teachings also lead one to conclude that women are considered less spiritual than men. Uh, women are not allowed to join in prayer during their menstrual cycles. And moreover, you know, a man's prayers will be canceled out if a woman walks in front of a man while he is praying. You know, Aisha, his favorite 
wife wrote the following the things which annul the prayers were mentioned before me they said prayers annulled by a dog a donkey and a woman if they pass in front of the praying people i aisha you said you have made us women dogs i saw the prophet praying while i used to lie in my bed between him and the qibla whenever i was in need of something i would slip away for i disliked to face him so through these teachings here kevin we see that uh, there was inequality between uh, men and women you know finally muhammad's teachings reveal that wives were to live in subjection to their husbands or face physical or spiritual discipline muhammad taught your wives are tilth for you so approach your tilth or your field when you when or how you will in other words you know women are to be plowed uh, like a field chapter 2 of the Quran chapter 4 uh, Muhammad taught men to quote beat their wives you know lightly if their wives were guilty of disloyalty ill conduct or refusing to share their beds uh, there were also spiritual consequences for women's lack of subservience uh, to men as taught in the hadith states that if a husband calls his wife to bed to have sexual relations and she refuses and causes him to sleep in anger the angels will curse her till the morning and there are more spiritual consequences revealed of wives who are not subservient to their husbands um, for example Muhammad said he looked into the bowels of hell and saw that the majority in hell were women and although they were believers in God they were there he states because they were quote ungrateful to their husbands so based on these passages not only is a woman's physical well-being dependent on her husband but her eternal destiny uh, is also connected to her subjugation uh, to her husband so from these passages we can conclude Mohammed did not view women as the equals to men well Pat let's conclude today then with a look at how Jesus treated women uh, his teachings his attitudes and in contrast to Muhammad it's a great contrast here you know Jesus never married however he valued women they were a very important part of his ministry several traveled and ministered with him and his disciples as recorded in Luke chapter 8 and he often praised women for their example of love and faith in the Lord. You know, in, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus praised a sinful woman as being a person of greater faith than the men who were present. And Jesus spent time and, and with and, and taught women. And the women were at the cross in his dying moments. And in chapter 19 of John, he made sure that his mother was taken care of. And the women were also the first ones entrusted with the message of the resurrection and Jesus disciples you know reflect the attitude of Christ in their teachings you know Peter exhorted husbands to honor their wives and treat them as co-heirs of eternal life and Paul states in Galatians chapter 3 there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus Paul also exhorted husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so when it comes to their attitude towards women there's a great contrast between Mohammed and Jesus and by the way if you missed any portion of today's show or you would just like to go over it or send it to a friend it's available for download when you go to evidenceandanswers.org Pat you've been doing a lot of reading on the life of Mohammed what are some conclusions that you've drawn yes Kevin the contrast is very significant because remember both men not only serve as founders of their religions but as perfect examples 
and one who chooses to follow in the footsteps of Muhammad uh, will choose the path of the sword, or as one who chooses to follow in the path of Christ follows the path of peace and of love. And if you study the life of Muhammad, he was a warrior. He was one who struggled in his relationship with women. He struggled with demonic influence. You know, and that's the life of Muhammad. In Christ, you have someone who lived a miraculous, sinless life, who died for those who persecuted and criticized him, but who also conquered sin and death and the forces of uh, the demonic realm. And he lived quite a miraculous life. There's a great significant difference between these two. And something interesting for the Muslims to understand, even in the Quran, if you study the Quran, the Quran affirms that Christ did miracles. The Quran affirms Christ's virgin birth. The Quran affirms that he is a prophet. The Quran affirms that he did not die, but was raised to heaven. So even in the Quran, Christ lives a more miraculous life than Muhammad. Which one would you choose to follow? I think the answer is quite obvious. Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. It's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll educate yourself and your family, and you'll help us keep expanding. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.